You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Genesis. We're going to start in Genesis 18 this morning. Guest, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. Uh, we walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say and not what I have to say. And particularly, we walk through books of the Bible because we come to passages like this where we could skip over it and we could not deal with what is there and we could just move on. But instead, we come to God's word, every part of it, good and right for our lives. And so we will walk through this passage together. If, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those hardcover black Bibles in front of you and turn to page 13. If you're not a believer today, you may be thinking, what in the world have you gotten yourself into? And that may be a fair question. But my prayer for you this morning is that you see who God is in the midst of judgment, in the midst of horrific sin. You see a God who is faithful a God who loves you, and I, I hope that you see that this place is a place that we cling to that God, and we look to him for salvation, and that this is a place where you can see who that God actually is. So as we start this morning, uh, how many of you love to take medicine? Uh, how many of you love to take medicine? I, I don't love to take medicine, and in my house over the last two weeks, there's been lots of medicine that's been taken uh, because we've been sick. So uh, Ash and the boys are at home. Unfortunately, they miss you. We're so thankful for the text and the, the food and everything that's been provided this week. Uh, we've had a, a, a bout with hand, foot, and mouth. And whoever told you that uh, adults can't get it, they're wrong. Uh, they lied to you. That's not true. Uh, and so we have uh, had a hard week. Uh, but the Lord is kind, and many of you prayed for me uh, to be able to be here this morning. So I'm thankful for that. But we don't like taking medicine, do we? But often, that medicine is good for us. Right? It's good for our bodies. We may not like the taste, we may not like doing it, but it's actually good for us. Or maybe there's medicine that makes our body feel terrible because it's actually going to heal our bodies. This is the kind of medicine that we have this morning. That we have a passage that's very difficult to swallow, to think about, to look over, to consider. But it's right for us. It's good for us. That medicine, even though we may not want it, is what will help us. Help us be faithful, help us know who God is, and to help us live out the gospel. So as we walk through this passage this morning, we're going to start in chapter 18, verse 16. We'll go all the way through chapter 19. Here's what we're going to see. The character of God is revealed in both his judgment and mercy as he delivers the righteous but destroys the wicked. <clears throat> understand that God seeks out a way for us out of death. But, but there's a price to be paid. So as we walk through the text, here's what you should know and do this morning. We must cultivate righteousness and flee wickedness by looking to the character of God. This morning, as we come to this, Moses has been leaving breadcrumbs to this point. He brings us to this moment where he's, God is going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah and I want us to focus on God's character through his actions. I want us to focus on God's character 
through his actions. So, first action. God will spare the righteous from judgment. God will spare the righteous from judgment. Look back at chapter 18, verse 16 with me. <clears throat> the men got up from there and looked out over Sodom and Abram. Abraham was sitting with them to send them off. So the conversation now turns, though, uh, they've talked about what God is going to do. He's going to give Abraham and Sarah a son. Now they look towards Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 17, the Lord said, should I hide what I'm about to do from, a- from Abram? Abraham, should, should God keep his act of judgment away or concealed from Abraham, this is a rhetorical question. God's asking himself, should should I do this? No, I should not do this. Why? Because the theme of justice is important to God. And it's it's important in this passage. Abraham must know that our God is a just God. Abraham must know that God is going to do what is right. Verse 18, Abraham is to become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on the earth will be blessed through him. Of course, if, if God is going to enter into a covenant relationship with Abraham, he must tell him, he must show him, God, Yahweh, is a righteous God who can be trusted. If Abraham is going to be a part of the blessing of the world, then he must trust God's decisions, even the decision to destroy an entire city. <coughs> Look at verse 19. For I have chosen him so that he will command his children and his house after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and what is just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised him. Abraham has experienced the blessing of God through faith and now lives according to that covenant. And his children are called to live according to that covenant. Remember, blessing is received by obedience. Blessing is received by obedience. God calls his people and his friends. James calls Abraham a friend of God. God calls his people and his friends to live according to the standards of justice. And so the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense. And their sin is extremely serious. I will go down to see if what they have done justifies the cry that has come up to me. If not, I will find out. Now, many of us know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, we, we know the idea, <coughs> and often we, we just pass by. So when, when God says their sins are extremely serious, it has this idea of completeness. Their sin has reached God in a way that he must act. There is no more mercy. It's time for justice. And we've seen this before from other groups, other nations that God has judged. But what exactly were the sins that they were committing? Well, in Leviticus 18, if you were to go there and look, you were to read, it's about all the sexual immorality of the cities of the plain, that is the people who lived in the land before Israel. (coughs) Sexual immorality was rampant and every kind of sexual perversion was happening. In just a moment, we're going to see, as we just read, you're going to see that sexual perversion and confusion. It's complete wickedness. Sodom and Gomorrah is completely wicked. Now, you may, you may think that America in the 21st century is not far away. And to be fair, most of us in the room have experienced some sort of sexual perversion or confusion. 
None of us, there's not maybe one, maybe a few of us in the room that have not walked in that door today who have not experienced that at some level. So we can identify with Sodom and Gomorrah. Oftentimes we want to sit back and talk about the city as something separate, but actually we come to this as a part of, we have have experienced this ourselves. And we got to be honest as we come to the text. We have all experienced some sort of sexual perversion and confusion. Remember that as we walk through these next few verses. Look at verse 22. The men turned there and went towards Sodom with Abraham, remaining, standing before the Lord. Now, as Pastor Ryan preached a few weeks ago, these two men, I think they're angels. And I think they're with the Lord Yahweh as they talk to Abraham. And now those two angels are going to go before him. Look at 23. Abraham stepped forward and said, Will you really sweep away all the righteous with the wicked? (coughs) This is the question, right? God, are are you really going to destroy a whole city? Multiple cities? Are you actually going to judge the righteous with the wicked? Abraham wants to come to God and he wants to say, How are you going to do that? So he enters into a conversation with him. And look at verse 25. I'm going to skip ahead. Abraham said, You... You could not possibly do such a thing. To kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike, you could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of all the whole earth do what is just? So Abraham appeals to his character. Then the Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. As complete as their sin was, God agrees. If there are 50 righteous people, I won't won't destroy the city. That's the mercy that our God displays. Unfortunately, God knows that there's not 50. And so Abraham, he he, he throws himself before the Lord. He said, well, well, Lord, since I've already spoken to you, since I've already asked, it's like your children, right? When when they ask you for one thing, they keep coming back for more. So what happens? He he says, God, since I've already spoken, what if there's 45? Well, there's 45. God says, if there's 45, I will will spare the city. Well, Lord, since there's 45, what about 40? And they keep having this conversation all the way down to 10. Now, you may ask, why why does Abraham stop at 10? That's not the point. The point is, if Abraham would have kept asking, God would have kept giving mercy. And we see that in the rescue of Lot. Our God is gracious and kind in the midst of horrific sin. And God will not judge the righteous with the wicked. Look at verse 33. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he departed. And Abraham returned to his place. Our God is righteous. Therefore, he will spare the righteous from judgment, which brings us to our second action. God will warn the righteous of the coming judgment. Look there at verse 1 of chapter 19. The two angels, that's the same angels, the two men that came <coughs> with Abraham, they entered Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the Sodom's gateway. When Lot saw them, he got up to meet them. He bowed his face to the ground and said to them, My lords, which is just another name for sirs, they're angels. Turn aside to your servant's house, wash your feet, and spend the night. 
Then you can get up early and go on your way. No, they said, we will, would rather spend the night in the city square. Why? The angels know the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they, will, they want nothing to do with it. They don't want to be a part of it. So we're going to sleep in the city square. <coughs> and so Lot says, nope, you've got to come with me. Look at verse 3. But he urged them so strongly that they followed him and went into his house. He prepared a feast and baked unleavened bread for them, and they ate. This is where the story takes an atrocious turn. Verse 4. Before they went to bed, the men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population, notice that. Every man was at this door. They called out to Lot and said, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so that we can have sex with them. The wickedness of Sodom is completely shown in their complete wickedness and it's been coupled with violence and repulsiveness. From these two verses, it's clear, as God said, the wickedness of Sodom is great and it's time for justice. It's severe and their sin is complete. All the men of the city are waiting to sexually abuse these two angels. They want to rape them. See, here's the the problem with sexual sin. It's never enough. It's never enough. You've probably heard the phrase, sin will take you farther than you ever wanted to go. And it may not be truer than of sexual sin. You will never be satisfied, ever. It will take you to places you never thought you would go. Sexual sin, it promises you great fulfillment, but leaves you dry. Our current society is saturated with sexual idolatry and perversion, from clothing to commercials to conversations, everything. Our, our society is, is eat up with this, and, and they, you can tell. <coughs> as, a, as a society, we want, we want something to satisfy us, and it will never be enough. It will never be enough for us. The end of sexual idolatry is not somewhere we want to be. And I don't know how far we can go, and I don't know how far we can be. I don't know, but what I do know is it's not a place we want to be. Sexual sin can never be satisfied. And that's why we're in the situation we are as a country, even as the world looks at this. We're no different. Sodom and Gomorrah is no different than we are. We're no different than them. Please do not come to this passage and think that in some ways we're better or more righteous or whatever it may be. Look how Lot responds. Lot went out to them at the entrance and shut the door behind him. He said, don't do this evil, my brothers. Look, I've got two daughters who haven't been intimate with a man. I'll bring them out to you and you can do whatever you want to them. However, don't do anything to these men because they have come under the protection of my roof. As though we didn't think anything could get worse than what we've just seen. Lot demonstrates how deep sin can go even when we don't know it. Let me be very clear. This is a failure on Lot's part. Horrific failure. Lot, I can't even imagine he offers his own children to this mob. But here's the thing. He pits two Two things, hospitality of these strangers, 
over the protection of his daughters. Here's the thing, though. God doesn't need us to, to have to pick between which is more virtuous or not. He should have protected the angels, and he should have protected his children. Instead, he tries to, he tries to appease the mob. <coughs> that's, exactly, that's exactly what sexual sin will do to us. We, we think that if we just appease the mob, it'll be okay. If we appease the desire, everything will be fine. A couple weeks ago, many of you know I work in a prison education ministry through the seminary. A couple weeks ago, I saw one of our students being, he was handcuffed and going to segregated housing because they found drugs. This, this, this young man has a ton of potential. I think he loves the Lord. I do think that. But when you lay down with dogs, you get fleas. And when we put ourselves in situations like Lot has, then how, how else would we expect Lot to, to behave? He is not just moved in, he, he moved near Sodom, now he's in Sodom. How else would he respond? What are we putting around us that's influencing how we think? Here's the problem, though. Lot's idea is not good enough for the men of Sodom. Look at verse 9. Get out of the way, they said, adding, this one came here as an alien, but he's acting like a judge. <clears throat> he's acting like he knows better than we do. Now it'll do more harm to you than to them, speaking to the violence of this sexual desire. And they put pressure on, the, on Lot and came up to the door. But the angels reached out, brought Lot into the house with them and shut the door. And they struck the men who were at the entrance of the house, both young and old, with blindness. So they were unable to find the entrance. Lot thinks he can protect these angels. When in fact, they're protecting him. In God's grace and mercy to Lot, the angels step in. They blind the men. And their blindness speaks to the spiritual blindness of the city. And Lot's physical helpness points to his spiritual helplessness. And there's no way he could deliver himself from the men of Sodom or the sin that has surrounded him. There's nothing he can do. And I want you to pay attention up to this point. Lot has done nothing. He's done nothing much to deserve a warning. But God is gracious to Lot based on Abraham's prayer and God's own character. Despite the situation that Lot has put himself in, the Lord in his kindness warns Lot of the coming destruction. Look at verse 12. Then the angel said to Lot, do you have anyone else here? A son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, anyone else in the city who belongs to you? Get them out of this place, for we are about to destroy the city. This is the same language as the flood. It's going to be swept away. We're going to destroy this place because the outcry against its people are so great before the Lord. The Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were going to marry his daughters. Get up, he said, get out of this place for the Lord is about to destroy the city. But his sons-in-law thought he was joking. In a society where sin has become not just okay when it becomes the, the choice, uh, the good of the city, judgment is much like entertainment. Judgment becomes something that, oh, that won't happen to us. Or maybe it's just a spectacle for us to see. When we dull our spiritual senses, not even God's judgment will scare us. 
I have to ask, what are we putting in front of our eyes? What do you watch? What do you read? Who are you with that dull our spiritual senses? I'm not trying to be a legalist. I just want to ask the question. It's clear here. God's just, and he's going to warn the righteous of coming judgment. Which brings us to our third action. God will destroy the wicked in their way of life. Look at verse 15. At daybreak, the angels urged Lot on, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away in the punishment of the city. This judgment is the same as when God flooded the world, but this time he's going to rain down fire. And look at verse 16. But he hesitated. In this moment, Lot knew what was about to happen. He knew that the sins of Sodom were great. So why did he hesitate? Because Sodom had become a part of him. He wanted the life of Sodom. Sin had attached itself to Lot like a leech, like a parasite. But look at what God does. In verse 16, because of the Lord's compassion for him, the men grabbed his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters. And they brought him out and left him outside the city. Look at the Lord's grace. In the moment where Lot hesitated, where he, where he compromised, God's compassion brought Lot and his family out of Sodom. Did God not do the same thing for you and me? Did God not grab us out of our sin and bring us and breathe life into us? It's exactly what God does here. Our God is a compassionate God in the midst of Lot struggling between his faith and sin. Now once Lot was on the run, now the angels are going to give him directions. Look at verse 17. As soon as the angels got outside, one of them said, run for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere on the plain. Run to the mountains. Or you will be swept away. <coughs> the, mount, <clears throat> the mountains are generally places of safety when judgment comes in the Old Testament or the New Testament. But this was also a place of contrast to the cities on the plain, that is Sodom and Gomorrah. The mountains are places of refuge. Mountains are places where God tells people to go. Think of Noah. But look at verse 18. Lot struggles again. But Lot said to them, no, my lords, please, your servant has indeed found favor with you, and you have shown me great kindness by saving my life, but I can't run to the mountains. The disaster will overtake me. I can't make it, or I will die. Look, this town is close enough for me to flee to it. It's a small place. Please let me run to it. It's only a small place, isn't it, so I can survive? Lot bargains with these angels. You see, Zoar was a small city, but it was a city on the plain. It was a city that would have been swept away with the judgment of God. And for whatever reason, the angels let him, say, let him go to Zoar. They let him stay in the plain, not get to the mountains. And look at God's mercy. <clears throat> he, he doesn't destroy this little city. In the middle of destruction, this town, because of Lot, God spares this city. And the angels say in verse 22, hurry up, run to it, for I cannot do anything until you get there. These angels can warn 
but God is the one who sends, sends judgment. Therefore, the name of the city is Zoar. <clears throat> the, the sun had risen up <coughs> over the land when Lot, reached, when Lot reached Zoar. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, burning sulfur from the Lord. He demolished these cities, the entire plain, all the inhabitants of the cities, whatever grew on the ground. But Lot's wife looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now, I want to pause for just a second. It's really easy for us to just pass over that. God destroyed every living thing. Why? Because of sin. That's how serious our sin is. And often we want to rationalize to ourselves that it's fine, we're not hurting anybody, but often we just move on by. We keep moving on. When in fact we should stop and consider how devastating and, and that sin is and how, what it does to us. <coughs> Maybe one of the most saddest things in the story, Lot's wife looks back and she becomes a pillar of salt. You, you've, you've heard about her. She's been used as an example probably most of your life if you've grown up as a Christian. But let's pause to reflect. Don't be self-righteous here. We would have longed for Sodom too. We need humility to see what God is actually saying to us. This is a real life example of what Jesus said. Why are you going to try to gain the world and lose your soul? She wanted both things. She wanted Sodom more than she wanted the things of God. And when she looked back, God judged her. She got what she wanted. She became exactly as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah did. But now the story turns back to Abraham. It brings us back to the covenant. Look there at verse 27. Early in the morning, Abraham went to the place where he had stood before the Lord, and he looked down towards Sodom and Gomorrah and all the land of the plain. And he saw that smoke was going up from the land like smoke of a furnace. So it was, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham and brought Lot out of the middle of the upheaval when he demolished the cities where Lot lived. In God's kindness, God has delivered Lot he is just. He did destroy. He did judge these cities. But in the midst of that, God was kind and he was merciful. We've seen God's character through his actions. So the question for us today as we come to this story is how should we live today? Well, what do we do with that? Well, what do we do with the story? There's three Three steps for us to take. Three things for us to learn. Number one, learn from God's character. Learn from God's character. We've seen here in the passage, what we've seen is astonishing in multiple ways. All right, we see the justice of God on a wicked people, morally bankrupt, who want evil more than God's ways. They want nothing to do with God. And our God will not let sin go unpunished. And often we can, we can talk about this and we can bring it up and it can be hard for us to, it can, it can really be difficult for us to think about God destroyed everybody. But if God doesn't destroy everybody, then he's not a just God. And if God doesn't deal with sin, then he's not a just God. And so, and so in reality, we should be thankful that God destroys sin, but then it should cause us to pause and to wonder, 
but why haven't I been destroyed? This should cause us to move into God, to lean into that relationship, not to back away. Why? Because what we see through Genesis is that God is true to his promises. We can trust him. Our God is a God who judges righteously. And so this should cause us to live a certain way. If we've been brought into that relationship, then it should cause us to live a few ways. First, we must live righteously. Since we're in relationship with the righteous God, we're called to obey and be righteous. So what does God require? Micah 6, 8. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. Those who enjoy God's covenant blessings must promote righteousness and justice by word and deed. It isn't enough just to say the right thing. We must do the right thing. We cannot sit on the sidelines. We must actually obey. We must actually be righteous. But secondly, we, as we think about the character of God, notice here in Genesis 19, he is absolutely just. Absolutely just. And, and he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. But that doesn't mean he takes pleasure in sending judgment on them. Too many Christians get excited about the fact that God judges people. Or maybe they like that for some reason. Chris Watkins makes this observation of, of God's prophets in the Old Testament. When God's prophets have judgment on their lips, they also have tears in their eyes. And when the prophet Jonah, he's talking about Jonah here, Jonah does not seem to delight in the coming condemnation of the wicked city of Nineveh. And so God harshly rebukes him for his hardness of heart. There can be no apathy or righteous smugness at the destruction of the wicked. There should be no glossing over sin. Here's the, here's the thing, church. Oftentimes we can look out and we can look into our culture and we can say that they got what's coming to them. When in fact we've missed the whole point. Because without Christ, we would be in the exact same situation. And too often we, we look out and we look at people and we look at people who, are, who maybe flaunt sin or struggle with sin and we're like, yes, they got what they're, what's coming to them. And we're missing the point. We're missing the point. Because when God calls down judgment, that is not what he desires. And that's not what, what we should want. So we need to look at God's character. That one, we need to stand on the truth of God's word. And we need to have compassion and kindness on people. I think we did this yesterday as a church. We went down to, to Raleigh to the Love Life event. And we walked and we prayed for people who are killing babies. And we pray that they, they will, be, that will be ended, that there will be no more babies' lives lost. We stand for the truth, but we stand with tears in our eyes as people have been, have been consumed with sin. We pray for those involved killing babies, whether it's doctors or mothers or whoever it may be. With tears in our eyes, we speak to folks who are militant or confused by sexual perversion. I mean, we literally are in the month of of the LGBTQ movement. 
and it can be difficult. And there, there are other applications. Just don't get me wrong, but let me be very clear. We, sh- we should mourn where people are right now. We should mourn for them. God does not call us to be a smug people. He calls us to be a humble people. And people who recognize that if it wasn't for Christ, we would be right where they are under God's judgment. And maybe it's those tears and that compassion and that mercy that can draw them out of that sin. I want you to remember your Lord. Before he walks into Jerusalem to be crucified, he stands on the mountain and he looks over Jerusalem and he weeps. He weeps for, for, for the Jews. He weeps for his people because he knows that they're going to turn their back on him. They're going to crucify him. Here's the truth that's held in tension. God is absolutely just, but he's also merciful. And so may we live that way. May we stand on the truth of God's word and may we hold it with conviction and with compassion. So may we learn from God's character, but number two, may we learn from Lot's example. Look at verse 30. Lot departed from Zoar and lived in the mountains along with his two daughters because he was afraid to live in Zoar. Instead, he and his two daughters lived in a cave. When it's all said and done, Lot has lost everything. He's lost everything. He was one of the most wealthiest men in the region. He was on par with Abraham. But now he lives in the most humbling of conditions, maybe most humiliating. He lives in a cave. What were caves used for? For graves. This was a grave. Lot is a shell of his former self. A shell of his self. And this is what sin does to us. Now, you might ask, what was Lot's sin? He wanted Sodom. This is why he lingered. Lot was content to believe in God, hold his faith in Yahweh, even be an upright citizen, be a good host, be a leader. He knew the truth. He knew justice and righteousness. In spite of all of that, he preferred the good life of his city. He preferred living comfortable in the city. And as long as the Lord left him alone, he would hold to his faith and live in Sodom. But ultimately, he could not have both. Sodom would destroy him if the Lord did not destroy Sodom. Sodom would destroy him if God did not destroy Sodom. See, that's what, that's what we think. We think we can play around with sin. We think that we can, we can have our cake and eat it too. When in fact, sin is destroying us. It's destroying us. Lot's love for Sodom led to a lack of spiritual leadership for his family. He failed to lead his family. This is why his wife wanted Sodom more than the things of God. Because Lot wanted it too. And here in just a minute, we're going to see that his daughters were not children of God. They were children of their mother and children of Sodom. Lot fails to lead his family. And even though Lot fled to the mountain in the end... Right? It was God's act of graciousness that the angels grabbed him. Sodom still lived in Lot. Sin cannot be left behind. It must be killed. So, so I have to ask us, in what ways is my culture, the things that I let myself be a part of, causing me to compromise 
Just one step. Just, just one step in that direction. How, how am I compromising? In what ways am I lingering? In what ways do I desire? In what ways do I want things like Sodom? May Lot's example teach us that sin will leave us high and dry. It'll leave us in a cave to die by ourselves with nothing. So may we learn from God's character, may we learn from Lot's example, but may we also learn from sin's track record. Here's the problem, it gets worse. If you didn't think it could get any worse, it gets worse. Lot becomes a part of the very thing that he, <clears throat> that Sodom was judged for. Look at verse 31. Then the firstborn said to, to the younger, Our father is old, and there is no man in the land asleep with us, as it is custom of all the land. Come, let us get our father to drink wine so that we can sleep with him and preserve our father's line. So they got their father to drink wine that night. They take matters into their own hands. They commit a horrible sin. And they think that this is a, it's a good thing to have children. Again, the ends don't justify the means. We've seen that multiple times in the story of Genesis. And just like Noah, the city is destroyed, the earth was destroyed in judgment. Lot gets drunk. But he gets much worse drunk than Noah. This is, this is horrible. And the firstborn came and slept with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she got He's so drunk that he doesn't even know. You can take the family out of Sodom, but you can't take the Sodom out of the family. Here's the deal. Lot and his two daughters are, are far away from Sodom at this point. They're in a cave. They're in a mountain. Separation isn't the answer. Just because you're away from it doesn't mean anything. You know why? Because there's still sin in here. And you might separate yourself from all things. You, you, might, you might not let your children watch certain kind of movies. You, you, you may not do anything. Here's the problem. That doesn't matter because there is sin inside of us. And until we recognize that, then we're going to be in the same situation that Lot's in. Verse 34, the next day the firstborn said to the younger, Look, I slept with my father last night. Let's get him drunk again tonight so that we can go sleep with him and we can preserve our father's line. That night, that night they again got their father to drink wine and the younger went in and slept with him. He did not know when she lay down or when she got up. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. It doesn't just happen once. It happens twice. Lot is completely out of touch, out of relationship with God. I want you to see, look how far sin took Lot and his family. Look how far it took them to a horrendous, awful thing. This was the consequences of living next to Sodom. This all started back in Genesis 13. Right? 
Abraham and Lot have an argument. Abraham's trying to make the peace, and Lot's like, yeah, I'm just going to leave. I'm going to take the best land. And where does he settle? He settles around Sodom. He doesn't go into Sodom yet, but he settles right around it. And it doesn't take long, six chapters before Lot loves Sodom. He wants, he wants it. He, this is what he desires. And this is where it took his family. See, see here's the thing. Sin, if you're a fisherman, sin, it, what it does is it, it casts a reel and it, and it shows you the bait but not the hook inside. That's what it does. And when we bite down on that bait, we think, we think that nothing's wrong until we begin to chew and begin to actually see that this is actually hurting us. You're never, ever going to regret resisting sin, ever. But you will always regret giving in, always. A pastor said this way, sin always looks better in the, in the, the windshield than it does in the rearview mirror. I have to ask us, do we desire sin? Because if we do, maybe, you're, maybe you are struggling this morning with particular sin, sexual or not. Do you desire this more than you desire God? That, that's what it comes down to. Do we desire God more than we desire our sin? If that's you this morning, here's, here's the truth. The gospel changes our desire. If we struggle, we can ask God to change our hearts, and he'll do it. It's not an easy step. It's not an easy process, but he can change our hearts because it's in accordance with his will. And so there's this this interesting last three verses. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. The firstborn gave birth to a son and named him Moab. He is the father of the Moabites of today. The younger also gave birth to a son, and she named him Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites of today. You might say that night, Sodom was reborn in that cave. Sin didn't go anywhere. Sodom still lived. And we see this. Lot's daughters... Continue the line of sin. As gross and detestable as and horrible as this story have turned out, you may be thinking, what in the world did I just hear? There's one small ray of hope. One small ray of hope. You might say, where in the world is that? It's not in this story. But you're going to hear of Moab again. If you read your Bibles and walk through the Old Testament, you're going to hear of Moab again. There's this woman, a Moabitess, who marries into a Jewish family, and her husband dies. And she renounces the idolatrous gods of her, of her nation, and she says, I'm going to follow you, Naomi. Her name is Ruth. And she follows Naomi back to, to Israel, and she meets Boaz, and Boaz redeems her, marries her. And Ruth becomes the grandmother of King David. 
And it's that King David in which we get the line of the Messiah. It is that King David in which the Messiah will reign forever. It is from our sinfulness that God works to bring about the Messiah. The one who can make us righteous, make us just, make us able to obey. It is that, that son, that Messiah, the son of God, where, he, where God proves he is absolutely just and absolutely merciful at the same time. And you may say, well, how does God do that? Well, on the cross, Jesus, a perfect sacrifice. God in the flesh committed no sin, took the wrath of God for me and you. And at that moment, God's wrath is poured out on sin. He judges sin, and he's merciful to us because Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. How do I know that God is just and merciful at the same time? Because I look at Jesus, and that's the only conclusion that makes sense. The gospel is is that God came in your place to die for you so that you could be made righteous, so that you could be made holy. This is the truth that the Bible tells us. And here's the deal. Lot had moments of faith. He told his family about the coming judgment. He fled to Zoar. And in many ways, most of us can sympathize with Lot. You may find yourself right now as a Christian, you may say, gosh, I, I've, I think I'm a lot like Lot. Days of faith, days of deep struggle with sin. Here's what's even more astonishing. If you go to the New Testament, look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Peter calls Lot righteous. Now, if, you're, if it's me, I look at Lot, there is no way he's righteous. No way he's righteous. Look at what he, he offered his own children. But that's the point. Lot is not righteous because of his deeds. And you can't be righteous because of your deeds. You can only be righteous because of someone else's intercession for you. Lot is saved because of Abraham. We are saved because of Jesus. Lot is not righteous because of his own actions. He's he's credited righteousness. And we have experienced the same thing. In Christ, we have now been declared righteous. We've now received the benefits of Christ's intercession for us. But here's the problem. If not, if we have not accepted and submitted our life to Jesus, we stand beneath the wrath of God. But if we have, we are declared righteous and a friend of God. Would you pray with me? God, as we, as we leave today, we, we leave hearing hard things. I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us apply this to our lives. And I pray that you would help us love you more than the things of this world. Would we pursue you as we look at your character? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.